got to tell you this, having been meditating on freedom, this is all I've been thinking about. You know, and I'm so grateful that I'm freer than I used to be. But I'm hungry to be totally free. Free of all anxiety, free of all stress, free of all worry, debt-free, financially free, pain-free, disease-free, condemnation-free. Amen? And I know that that is God's desire and intention, and I don't want to chase any rabbits today, because otherwise we won't. We'll have 2.3 next week. But I do got to say this. Listen, and as a church, worldwide, historical, we have valued things that God didn't make top priorities. And what we need to, you know, such as the clothes we wear and the style of worship and what a lot of people call doctrine is nothing more than style. You know that, right? The way you do your hair is not a doctrinal thing. That's a style thing. It's usually pretty bad style, but it's still just style. The, 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 the type of suits you wear and things like, you know what I'm talking about when they demand you have the beehive hairdo and are y'all with me this morning? We got to value the things that God values, and what God values is your freedom. God did not create you to be enslaved, right? Listen, all slavery is a result of sin, and it doesn't matter what kind of slavery. If it's racial slavery, if it's economic slavery, if it's emotional slavery— all slavery has as its foundation sin. If there had never been sin, there would have never been slavery of any kind, any shape, any form. No man would have ever dominated another man. It's interesting, I guess I will chase a rabbit, but if you look at early Israel before they rebelled against God and said, we want a king like other nations, there were no kings. There were priests, there were prophets, and there were people, but there were no kings, and God tried to warn them against a king. He told them what a king would do. God, does, this is the reason, listen, in, in, in early Israel before Saul, you could literally say they were a nation of kings. Because the only thing that guided them was God. So God doesn't want you and I to be like other people. You get the point? Right? Other people go in debt to get this and go in debt to get that. And other people are bound by this and other people are bound by that. But if we're children of God, he doesn't want us to be like other people. We're always supposed to be a peculiar people, a special people, an odd people, a weird people. When other people are bound by fear, we're free from fear. When other people are bound by this, we're free from that. When other people collapse, we run. When other people cry, we laugh because we're citizens of a kingdom they don't see and don't understand. So I'm, what I'm saying to you is this, don't strive to be like them. Freedom. In, in, in Isaiah chapter 61, the Lord quoted this as his mission statement in Luke chapter 4 when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And then he gave four bullet points, four things that would steer his ministry. Two of the four had to do with freedom. You actually could say all four had to do with freedom, but two of the four he directly referenced freedom or liberty. The Lord values your freedom. He wants you free. Whom the Son sets is free 
It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And so last week we began to talk about the process of freedom, and I want to get to that. I really do. But there's a couple things that I, I, I need to say to you. The, one of the reasons why the Lord desperately wants us to be free, listen to this, you cannot fully obey till you are completely free. You can't fully obey until you're completely free. I want to use just two illustrations to, to, to show this. Let's say that the Lord tells you he wants you to do something wonderfully good to your own private monster. And you know, I'm talking about that person who has despitefully used you, mistreated you, abused you, discredited you, devalued you, maybe even defiled you. And the Lord says, I want you to do something good for them. I want, I want you to not only pray for them, I want you to go above and beyond and do something exceptionally good for them. Would the Lord ever ask you to do that? Oh, yeah, it's written that if you only love those who love you, what credit do you get? Even the sinners do that. But he wants you to pray for them. He wants you to do good to them. And, and he ain't talking about the people who are good to you. So let's say the Lord says, I want you, you know that one. That one who every time you think of him or her, you just want to hurt somebody because of what they've said, what they've done. And we all have those, our own personal monsters. You all following me? And if the Lord says, I want you to do something good, you can't obey unless you're free from the pain of the past and all of the baggage and the bondage that what they did brought to you. When you're free, then you can obey authentically. You can honestly do what the Lord's told you to do from a heart of love. You can even love them with the love with which you've been loved by Him. But in order to obey that command, you've got to be what? You can't fully obey until you're completely free. Let's use another point. Let's say that the Lord speaks to you and says He wants you to partner with Him. Because he's building an orphanage in some third world country. And what he wants to do is redeem his precious children who are living in the trash dump. And he wants to build a place that, that can redeem them from the trash dump. And they have a nice place to live. And so the Lord speaks to you and says, I want you to give $100,000. Well, that's a possibility if you're debt free and financially free. Y'all follow? But if you're not free, then it makes complete obedience nearly impossible. Right? And if, if, if the Lord so... You, is this okay this morning? You've heard me say this before. The Lord never requires anything of you he has not first given you. So let's say the Lord asks you to give a massive offering. And some of you, a hundred grand may be nothing. So let's say it's a million. Whatever it is that makes you cough. And the Lord says, I want you to do this for me. Even if you don't have it, if you know that and you're free on the inside, in other words, you're free from that poverty mindset, you're thinking the blessing all the time. You're thinking, even if you don't have it, you're already blessed internally. Because remember, I told you the process is the kingdom always starts on the inside. Freedom will be inside before it's outside. That's the reason why a lot of people get confused and don't realize God is up to something special because they're looking for it on the outside before they get it on the inside. But when you realize what God does, he does internally before he does externally, then you're okay with the process. Because you don't need this to change until this changes. Because if this changed before this changed, you'd ruin this out here anyhow. 
Have you ever heard the old saying, grass is always greener on the other side of the hill? And that's true till you get there. You follow me? Because if you killed the lawn you have now, should you get to the other side of the hill, you'll only kill the grass there too. Because the problem is wherever you go, there you are. So God has got to change this on the inside so that when you inhabit the promised land, you don't make it a trash dump. So and you're free on the inside, and God says, I want you to give me this massive offering, and it makes you cough. You get excited. Why? Because you know that God just asked you to give something you don't have, and he never asked you to give what he has not yet provided. So that means if he asks you for it, he's going to provide it to you. And so you can get excited because the seed is on the way because the Bible says he supplies seed to the sower. So what I'm telling you is you ought to value freedom. You ought not to be like Manasseh and Gad and say it's okay to live on this side of freedom. No, you need to cross over. Where you are may be better than where you come from, but if you're not completely free, your journey ain't over yet. Because our, our desire, our highest aspiration, our greatest goal is to do everything he asks and not have to confer with Discover or Visa or the bank. Not have to worry that if I give what the Lord asks me, my lights are going to get shut off at the end of the month. That when you've got more than enough, Everyone say free. free. That's our journey. We're journeying toward freedom. Now, the journey of freedom is acted out most magnificently in the book of Exodus. So, Sister Fowler, if you would put that slide up. I want you to see something here, and we'll get into this more next week. But in the, in the story of Exodus, there are some things that we learn about freedom, and we need to we need to understand and appreciate this because everything that was written before time was written for our instruction. Romans chapter 15. In the book of Exodus, we find three different phases that the people inhabited throughout the story. We have Egypt. Everyone say Egypt. Egypt was the land of slavery and bondage, of much labor and no opportunity. Y'all ever been there? You're working hard, but you ain't got no room for advancement. There's no opportunities. You are just working and working and working. And like the prophet Huey Lewis would say, you're, working, you're taking what they're giving because you're working for a living. But you got no opportunity for advancement and increase. You don't ever see your dreams coming to pass. That's Egypt. And then after Egypt, they had this place called the wilderness. Now, the wilderness was a place where they were training to reign, where there was a mindset shift, and really what they were learning, this was the place of evolution, of change, where they were coming out of a, a slavery mindset into an ownership mindset. They couldn't go into the promised land until that mindset was changed, right? Now, here's something that I want you to understand, that in, while they were in the, elder, the wilderness, there were no fights. There were no battles except for internal battles. Because now what you do see in the wilderness, you see a lot of murmuring. You see a lot of complaining. You see a lot of unbelief. And you see flat out rebellion. But you don't see there were no fights with the yikes. Right. They didn't come into battle with the yikes. The battle was all within. Now, here's an, there was an entire generation that would not change their mind. 
There was an entire generation that was determined to hold on to the old mindset. And they died in the wilderness. The book of Hebrews says this, that there are those who will not enter into his rest. They will never emerge from the wilderness because they refuse to change their mind about the way they ought to be living. They think worry is normal. They think stress is normal. They'll fight for the right to be miserable. And it has nothing to do with whether God loves them or not. It has everything to do with that they're a grasshopper in their own sight. But that's not every generation. There's also another generation who in a generation has nothing to do with age because Caleb was about 80 years old. And he said, listen here, you young chumps. Give me my mountain. It doesn't matter what my age is. That's my destiny. You give me my mountain because I'm well able. So it doesn't matter if I've been in the wilderness for four days or 40 years. That's mine. God ordained it for me. And if I'm 85 years old, I'll beat you up with my cane. But you're going to give me my mountain. You following me? And then there's the promised land. Now, the promised land is freedom. But it's also the land where you had to fight. Now you encounter the ites, right? You remember that as soon as they crossed over the Jordan, singing, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty. What in the world is that? They see Jericho with walls that you can't pass, walls that have never been conquered. Here's their first battle externally. And behind Jericho were all the ites, Hittites, Prizites. Jebusites, all the otherites that you had to battle. If you want to be free, you got to be willing to fight because if you're not willing to fight, there will always be a voice that will tell you, you ain't coming this far. You may have achieved this level, but you're not going any further. you got to be willing to fight for that which God has ordained for you. And God has ordained, as everyone listening, I want to I hear you say I'm listening. God has ordained from heaven itself through the blood of his own son, you shall be free. God wants you completely free. And that's every step, every instruction, every direction of God is to the place called freedom. And in every church, in every land, we have somebody dwelling at each one of these phases. In every congregation, you got some people that are in slavery. Many times they suffer in silence because they don't know their Moses has already come. Somebody has to tell them, you're free. It's time to leave this place. And then in every congregation, you have some people that dwell in the wilderness. They're, just, they're learning that God is trustworthy. They're learning that God will provide manna. They're learning that God will bring water from a rock. They're learning these things. They're, they're, they're not yet reigning, but they're training. And then you've got some other people, and this is, this is exactly what Zach, I don't know if Zach saw my notes, but he, he carjacked my sermon. And I'm glad to see it. The promised land, there are some of us that are dwelling in freedom. Now, here's what I want to say to you, and then I'll get into the sermon. This is the reason why we can never look at each other with judgmental eyes. Don't look at someone else and judge where they are compared to where you are, because maybe, maybe if you were going through what they are going through, you wouldn't handle it as well as they are. 
So we need to understand that everyone's battling something, whether they're battling Egypt, the wilderness, or the ice in the promised land. Everybody's fighting something, so be kind, be judgment-free, because you don't know what they're overcoming, you don't know what they've overcome. So don't ever look at someone and say, well, they ain't doing it right, because you don't know. Only he does. Amen? All right, let's get, let's get started in this. That's enough rabbits for one day. Hallelujah, Father. Miles Monroe said this. Listen to this. Miles Monroe, if this gets you upset, write Miles. Put a lot of postage on that stamp or in that envelope. It's easier, listen to this, it's easier to exist in slavery than to live in freedom. Boy, I wish we were at part three. I would break this open. Slaves don't really, listen, 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 and I'm not talking about the quality of life, but slaves have no responsibilities. And you, you can become accustomed to slavery because you ain't got no responsibilities. Your food is provided, your housing is provided. Oh, pastor, but it, I'm not talking about quality of life. But I'm talking about if, if you abdicate responsibility of your life and for your life to someone else, and I don't care who it is, they will always make you a slave. I remember one time when we came back from the mission field, and I was up at my office. We rented space from Rick Renner in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was up at my office late at about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was praying, and I heard the Lord say something. The Lord said, call the IRS and make sure you're in good standing. I had never heard that before. I don't like interacting with the IRS. If you're watching, I think you're great. I just personally don't like interacting with you. But I did what the Lord said, and I called the, I called the department that oversaw ministries and things like that. I gave them our tax ID number, and I said, I'm just calling to make sure that we're in good standing. We've been on the mission field for the better part of a decade, and, and I just need to know, are we okay? And the person pulled it up and said, yeah, everything looks good. And you know how you can hear the typing? I could hear him typing, and then I heard, uh-oh. And I thought, oh, C-rap. <laughs> what do you mean, uh-oh? And they said, um, you've not filed in nine years. Well, that's as long as we'd been overseas. And every year I paid a CPA to file. <laughs> and the person said, uh, it's a good thing you called us because if we had to track you down, you would lose your 501c3 status. But because you called us, I'm going to flag your account that you were interactive, and that's a good thing. And then they gave us the steps to take to get out of that situation. Are you all following me? Every direction of God is to a place of freedom. And this is what the Lord told me when we finally took care of all that mess. We got in that mess because when we were overseas, I, I abdicated the responsibility for our ministry to someone else. I trusted them to do things. 
And I got busy helping people like Kenneth Copeland and Creflo Dollar and, and Joyce Meyer. And I was, I was putting more into their ministries in, than into our ministry. And I was trusting that if I was doing good, God would take care of us. Sounds reasonable, right? But this is what the Lord told me when we finally got all of that cleared up. This is what he said. He said, never again abdicate responsibility for that which I gave you to steward. I'll never forget what he said. If God gave it to you to steward, you can't abdicate the responsibility to someone else, no matter what your intentions are. And can I tell you what God gave you to steward? Your life, your gifts, your potential, your years, your days, your moments. Redeem the time, the Bible says. God has called you to steward life. Quit abdicating responsibility to someone else and then wondering why you have no opportunities. Because opportunities always come with the, uh, with the acceptance of responsibility. Hallelujah, Father. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take what Miles said and change it just a bit. It's easier to exist than to live. It's easier to exist. A lot of people are just satisfied with existing. But God did not call us to exist. He said, I've come that you might have. I've come that you might have. He did not say, I've come that you might exist. He didn't say, I've come so that you can barely get by till you die. He did not say, he said, I have come that you might have and life with a Hallelujah, Father. So it may be easier to exist, but that's not what God called us to. So I don't know about you, but I'm cutting strings. I don't want to exist no more. I want to dream big, speak big, talk big, expect big. I want to be free. So last week what we started in the process of talking about freedom was this, that the foundation of all slavery is sin. So in order for a people to be free, you got to destroy the foundation of that which enslaves them. So Jesus Christ came as the lamb slain before the very foundation of the world through whose blood the whole world would be redeemed. He would eradicate, pulverize sin. When sin is eradicated, the foundation of slavery is gone. But you remember Jesus said this, that you need to hear his words, abide in his words, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The blood of Christ sets you free. The words of Christ build your freedom. You following me? It's the, the blood of Christ that eradicates the foundation of slavery. Then the words of Christ come, and as we assimilate his words, word by word, instruction by instruction, we build his word into our life. He then builds a life of complete freedom. After he eradicates sin and sets us free, the next freedom we encounter, and this is where I want to spend the rest of my time on, this morning, ain't much of it left either, is the freedom from condemnation. Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. 
I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, verse 1 out of the Amplified. Therefore, there is now, meaning at this present time, this moment, right now. And here's the amazing thing. Y'all listening to me? When yesterday was now, there was no condemnation. Now that today is now, there's no condemnation. And when tomorrow comes, there's no condemnation. For whatever moment is now, and now is the only moment you have because you don't live five minutes ago and you don't live five minutes from now, as long as you live every moment of your life, there is therefore now no condemnation. And see, we got to be free from condemnation because as soon as God sets us free from sin, we got to be free from condemnation because condemnation makes you be, feel guilty and ashamed for the sin that's been eradicated. And I'm going to show you in just a moment that until you're free from condemnation, you're not free to be you. Because condemnation makes you ashamed of who you are. So you're always... You have, it, look, another rabbit. They're everywhere. Have you ever noticed in the church how much mimicry takes place? You ever wonder why in the church we always copy one another? We try to copy those we think got their act together so every man in the church dresses like the pastor. Every woman dresses like the first lady or the worship leader. I remember when my, my wife and I went to go to the mission field, Hillsong hadn't emerged yet. We had never heard of Hillsong. But suddenly we were hearing every song in Europe, though we didn't understand the words. They all that We knew they were singing the same song, and we didn't know what those songs were until we came back to America, and that, that's all we heard. And everywhere I preached, every church had a female worship leader with long, straight hair. And huh? And a long, straight jacket. Everyone looked the same, and I didn't understand it until I saw Darlene Sheck. Then I realized in the church, everyone was trying to mimic her. Do you know why we try to mimic others? Because we're ashamed of who we are. Because there underlies everything, though we disguise it with Mary Kay and hoops and hollers and hallelujahs. On the inside, there's an inner self-condemnation. We're ashamed of who we are, so we try to be someone else because we know they got their act together and they're accepted and I want to be accepted, so I try to be who they are. That comes from condemnation. Because you somehow feel that who God created you to be is inferior and inadequate. And we never realize that you are who you are because he needed you to be that. That God being God, before the foundations of the world were ever laid, he looked down through time and he said, I need you now. But I don't need you to be him. And I don't need you to be her. I need you to be you. God's not a God of duplication. He's a God of identification, but not duplication. In all of nature, there's no two things exactly the same. So why do we surrender our individuality to be like them? Why, do, why is it that we think we're not anointed if we don't wear a suit? Or somehow we're not relevant if we're wearing those ungodly tight jeans? Because I'm not relevant if I don't got holes in my shirts and holes in my pants. No, we're mimicking one another. Because we're not yet free from condemnation, that sense of disapproval of self. Yes. When God finally, you accept his freedom from condemnation, you realize you can be you. Because you are special and you are unique and God created you to be you. And through his grace, you get to be the best you you can be. 
For years, I never felt my preaching style, and I really don't think I have. When people ask me, am I a preacher? I say, no, are you a teacher? Not really. I'm not qualified to be one. I don't know what I is. And for years, I tried to be other preachers. When I first got saved, I got saved at Jimmy Swaggart's church. Jimmy was a preacher, man. And I used to hold up my Bible. And I'd try to get the drape just right. Some of you, you weren't even born yet, but this was his pose. And so I'd go out into the wilderness, the swamplands of Louisiana, because that's where I was at the time. And I'm telling you what, Cleve, I could preach some sermons to tree stumps. I held that Bible up, and I was preaching. Then when I got in front of people, I was like, well, the Lord said. And I didn't understand why I couldn't be what I was out in the woods, because that's not who God created to be. I mean, that was an act. And it took me years to become comfortable just with whatever it is I do. But the value of you is you, not them. Everyone say, I'm free from condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no judging guilty of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus who live and walk not after the dictates of the flesh, but after the dictates of the Spirit. If you're in Christ, can I say something to you? It doesn't matter what you did. And if you're in Christ feeling guilty over what you did, it's because you place more value on what you did than what he's done. But when you learn to place a higher value on what he's done than what you did, you walk free of condemnation. Because you know that in him, the old you has passed away. And if you do sin, he is faithful to forgive. Go to John chapter 3, verse 18. He who believes in me, who clings to, trusts in, relies on him, is not judged. He who trusts in him never comes up for judgment. For him, there is no rejection. No condemnation. He incurs no damnation. But he who does not believe, cleave to, rely on, trust in him, is judged already. He has already been convicted and has already received his sentence because he has not believed and trusted in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He is condemned for refusing to let his trust rest in Christ's name. Can I say something to you? And this is a sermon for another time. But as a church, we get so caught up in what people do. I've heard preachers say, if you don't stop doing what you did, you're going to break hell wide open. <laughs> yeah, you're going to hell. I preach, a lot of preachers take great joy in telling people they're going to hell. I was one of them. My first sermon was hell now or hell later, but you will go through fire. When I used to preach, my wife would never look at me. And I thought it was because she was praying. And I asked her one time, I said, love, I appreciate you praying for me, but would you look up at me once in a while? And she said, no. I said, why? She said, because you look too angry. It took me a while to realize that God ain't angry with us no more. Thank God for the grace message. And I don't care who criticizes it and who judges it. I thank God for grace. I think grace is amazing. I think grace is wonderful. And I'm so glad that I'm not being judged by what I was, but I'm being judged by who he is. And I put my faith in him. So it's not the sins. It's the sin. There's only one sin that'll send any person in the world to hell. And that's rejecting Jesus Christ. 
for every other damnable thing. And I mean, some people have done some horrible things. Some of y'all sitting in here. None of that matters because he has taken away the sins of the world. So if we're in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no judging. And our own heart ought not to judge us because we're in Christ. And we value above all things what he's done. Now understand, when I value above everything else what he's done and I realize I am free from self, then there's now no more condemnation. And if there's no more condemnation, I have great boldness before God. But as long as I feel condemned, and here's the true, here's the true oh, power of condemnation. It robs you of your confidence. It strips from you boldness. And so you have no boldness before God because you feel condemned within yourself. So you won't even go boldly before his throne of grace to obtain help in a time of need. Why? Because you're constantly reminded of who you used to be. Maybe what you did five minutes ago. But instead of relying on him, you're thinking about what you did. So you're stripped of all boldness. And you can't be who God's called you to be if you're timid and afraid. Are you following me? You'll never take advantages of the opportunity he gives you. Because if you're condemned, you don't even feel worthy of a blessing. And when God tries to bless you, you reject it. Why? Because you don't feel worthy of it. After all, I didn't earn it. I can't receive it because I didn't earn it. Well, listen, if earning is the grounds upon which you receive everything, you'll not take, you receive anything from God. Because tell me what of his you deserve other than his anger, his wrath, his judgment. Is this okay this morning? I'm not following my notes at all, so we'll have 2.3 next week. But on Isaiah 54, which comes after Isaiah 53, where he prophesied of the crucifixion of his Christ, he said he's no longer angry because the entire cup of his wrath had been poured out upon the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Man, when are we going to learn to value Jesus Christ and realize that you were crucified with him? And in him you live, and in him you move, and in him you have your being. So listen, this, this whole thing about condemnation, do you realize it's, it's a wicked form of pride? Because it's still about you. And you got to, the, the thing about the freedom is, remember I told you freedom sets you free from sin, from legalism, and from self. It ain't about me no more. In fact, I'm not living according to what I know, what I've done, where I've been. I'm living according to the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And in him there is freedom, not partial, but complete. So I'm free to be blessed. I'm free to be healed. I don't have to try to earn my healing. All I got to do, see the problem of faith is condemnation. When you feel like somehow you got to earn it, quit trying to earn it and just receive it. As long as you're trying to earn it, you're always going to fall short because your best is as filthy rags. Your best is never going to measure up. So we got to lay down this self-earning, trying to think where I feel like I deserve to be healed because look at all the good things I've done. If I'm going to measure your good, i got to measure your bad. 
And if you're going to measure my bad, you've got to measure my good. We've got to measure both. But if we lay that all and dump it out, then it's only his goodness that remains. And so now I can receive both my healing, my breakthrough, my provision, because I'm free in him. Is this okay? John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. Listen to this. This condemnation comes from a guilty conscience. Whenever our hearts in tormenting self-accusation. Do you see that? Tormenting self-accusation make us feel guilty and condemn us. For we are in God's hands. For he is above and greater than our conscience, our hearts. And he knows, perceives, and understand, understands everything. Nothing is hidden from him. And beloved, if our consciences, our hearts, do not accuse us, if they do not make us feel guilty and condemn us, we have confidence, complete assurance and boldness before God. So much of the preaching that we hear every single Sunday strips us of confidence. Because what we magnify in church after church after church is sin. And we make people sin conscience, aware of what they've done. As if somehow their guilt is going to result in holiness. I don't know who I'm preaching to right now, but we need to understand guilt does not result in holiness. Guilt results in condemnation. The only thing that results in holiness is grace. Grace Grace, abundant grace. Grace is what will make people holy, not guilty consciences. So we preach sin, 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 sin. And we wonder why nobody in the church gets healed, nobody overcomes, nobody gets blessed, nobody changes the world, nobody comes and turns their world upside down because we have people that are so guilty. They're trying like Adam to hide from God when he comes in the garden in the cool of the day. Why are you all so quiet? We're hiding from God. When he comes into our prayer closet to speak to us, we don't feel worthy of hearing his voice. When he tries to bless us, we say, no, 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 I can't receive that. I like what Brother Hagin used to say when somebody would come to bless him and they'd say, Brother Hagin, I feel led to give this to you. He'd look him in the eye, falls and say, I don't doubt that for a minute. Why? Because it's not about me being worthy of the gifts. God doesn't need my perfection. He needs my faith. He needs my obedience. All he needs is my trust. We'll never achieve freedom with our willpower. We'll only achieve freedom by faith. The old things, oh, let's, 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 ooh, okay, I can't pass this up. Second Corinthians chapter 5, I, the word of God is so good, y'all. I've heard people tell me before, Pastor, you put too much scripture in your sermons. I don't put enough. Because, I mean, sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I come to the Bible, and you might not believe this, but I go quiet. Because I just, I look at his promises, and I'm just like, He's so good. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
contains the story of the new creation of man standing before the Father. Listen to this. Chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconcile people, reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Listen to this. No longer counting people's sins against them. No, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The Bible says that now we are the very righteousness of God. And you've heard me ask you this question before. If I'm the very righteousness of God, who's more righteous than I am? Selah. Think about it. My righteousness is the righteousness of... Your righteousness is the righteousness of... In Christ, he made you as righteous as himself because he gave you through Christ his righteousness. So I'm going to ask you, Who's more righteous than you? If you are, they see we all ain't even getting it. If you are the righteousness of God, let the word of God be true and every man be a liar. If he made you the righteousness of God in Christ, who's more righteous than you? So this means you stand before God or before men as God himself. That's what Jesus did. Jesus stood before men as God. This is why he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And before God, we stand guilt-free. So we have a right in Christ, Cleve. Every time a need comes up, whether it's mine or someone else's, I can go before God, my Father, with boldness. Knowing that if he hears me, I have the petition I've asked of him. And then I receive the answer and I go back out into the world and I say, here is what God says. But if I am condemned, then even when God tries to speak to me. How many of you have ever gone to someone else for to hear what God is saying? Why would you go to someone else to hear from God? Is it because you don't feel like God can speak to you? See, we need to be free from this thing of condemnation. Condemnation limits you. It limits you in every capacity of life. Condemnation will destroy the quality of your life and even the quantity of your life because you'll carry so much stress and so much guilt and so much shame that your body will break down ahead of time and you'll die a premature death all because you didn't get free of condemnation. You didn't go through life stress-free, care-free, living in the care of God. Hmm. The old things of sin and weakness and failure of doubt and fear have passed away. 
And there has come into us a new creation without condemnation and without fear. Everyone say this, I am strong. I am bold. Because you're not condemned. We have become instantaneously a child of God. And we are reconciled to him. So now listen to this. There is no condemnation, no sense of unworthiness. There is no fear and there's no sense of sin. Well, pastor, are you saying you're perfect? You missed the whole point. You missed the whole point, man. No, I'm not perfect, but I'm hidden in the perfect one. I'm in him. I have, I have learned to quit trying to be perfect and just walk in his perfection and receive from his hand all of the things that I need in life. It's abnormal to live this way, but it's doable. And it's possible for every child of God because every one of us, remember what I told you about ancient Israel, no kings. You had prophets, you had priests, and you had people. You don't need it. You got the Holy Ghost, bro. You don't need anyone to tell you. All you need to do is go before God yourself because you have an anointing. And John said that anointing is not a cheap knockoff made in China. It's an anointing that's of the Holy One. You're anointed with the anointing of the Holy One. You're made righteous with God's own righteousness. You're a new creature in Christ. There ain't nothing you can't overcome. Ain't no chain you can't break. Ain't no wall you can't run through. Hallelujah, Father. Oh, I need to hurry up. Like a child, we are perfectly rested and contented. Last week I said this to you. I don't know how much further I'll get. I'll probably bring it to a close after I've said the last thing I'm going to say. Last week, listen, I said to you, the most pitiful slave is the deceived slave who has been brainwashed into believing he's already free. Another thing Miles Monroe would say is that when the colonial powers retreated back from their conquered lands, they gave the conquered people just enough freedom to pacify them. And he would talk about how when, when England came back from the Bahamas, they gave the people the land, but they didn't give the people the right to choose their own prices for the sugar cane. So in a sense, they were free, but they weren't free. Because Miles would say, if you're not economically, you're not actually free. And so another person was controlling their wages. And I remember when I heard him tell that story, I thought the devil's just like that. The devil will give you just enough freedom to pacify you, but not enough freedom where you become dangerous to his kingdom. That's why we got to fight, because it ain't about having just enough freedom. It ain't about being good enough. It ain't about, well, you know, I barely got enough. At least I don't got to worry the way I used to worry. At the end of the month, I may not got much, but I got a little, and I'm not completely pain-free, but at least I'm not walking in the same level of pain I did a month ago. Don't be pacified. 
with just a little bit. Because he did not die so you would have partial freedom. He died so you'd be completely free and wonderfully free. And so when you achieve freedom in this land, you turn your vision to that land and you say, that land's mine too. And by the way, when I'm done with that land, mountain, I'm coming for you. And we keep striving and we keep pressing and we keep fighting until the day he calls us home. And when he calls us home, we're able to stand before him and say, Father, everything you said you would do, you did. Every promise was manifest. Every dream came to pass. Not one thing you promised me failed. And when I left that planet, I was free. Hallelujah, Father. Can I say one more thing to you? Allow me to flip this statement, and this is how we'll end. Listen to this. The most pitiful saint, the most pitiful slave is the deceived slave who thinks he's already free because he won't fight for his freedom. The most pitiful saint is the deceived saint who has been brainwashed into believing he's not yet free, totally free, completely free. Because they've listened, to, they've listened to teachers of religion, not of the gospel, who have preached to them in such a way that they believe that all of the promises of God will finally, ultimately be manifested when they get to heaven. So they accept a life of misery. You've heard me say this before. As if somehow their poverty proves the depth of their devotion. Or their sickness somehow proves how committed they actually are. So the things they ought to resist and overcome, they actually end up embracing, thinking this is a badge of my honor. And so they endure things Christ set them free from, thinking they get credit for it. When actually what they're supposed to do is overcome those things and walk free of those things. So the most deceived, the most pitiful saint is the one who believes that life is meant to be miserable, but won't we be happy? Over there, over there. Oh, won't we be happy? Over there. Once again, Brother Hagin used to tell us we ought to have a little bit of heaven to go to heaven with. Because Christ, is this okay this morning? Christ did not set you free from sin to make you miserable. He did not redeem you from the burden of sin to lay more burdens on you. Did he not say, come unto me, all of you who are and I will give you greater burdens than you've ever known. I'll make life so hard on you, you'll wish you were still a sinner. I remember, is this? I got, I got a few more seconds. First church I ever preached in, they used to have testimony service. Y'all remember testimony service? Boy, I'm glad we don't do testimony services no more. There used to be these testimony services, and I was just a young kid. I didn't know nothing. But they would all stand up and testify about what the devil had done. I tell you what. This week, y'all need to pray for me. There's been a hard week. The devil done kicked my butt all week. He kicked me Monday. He kicked me Tuesday. And on Wednesday, he caught up to me and kicked me again. I tell you what, the devil killed my cat. He killed my dog. And he ran over my hamster. It's all falling apart. Would y'all pray for me? And I would sit there as a young kid going, man, I just gave my life to Christ. I'm not sure I want to. Because apparently Jesus ain't able to do nothing for nobody. And God is my witness. They asked me to give a testimony one time. 
I stood up and I said, I got it. I'm so glad that I got saved before I got to this church. I lie not. I've been run out of churches, y'all. I said, I'm so glad I got saved before I came to this church. Because if I had heard all of you before I received Jesus, I wouldn't have received him. The most pitiful saint is the one who believes that he's not yet free. And they value things other than what God values. Because God values you. The greatest treasure in all of eternity is not some gate in heaven, not a gold paved street. The greatest treasure, stand to your feet. The greatest treasure in all of creation looks at you from the mirror every morning. You are God's greatest treasure. He didn't shed his blood for stuff. He shed his blood for you. His aspiration and his desire is that you would walk in such freedom and know such goodness. That you would understand that first and that above, beyond the songs and the sermons we hear, that God is a good, good God. And that he wants to daily load you down with benefits. And to know that when he asks something of you, you have the ability and the willingness to do whatever he asks. So he sets you free completely so you can obey fully. Go ahead and lift your hands. I didn't come close to getting done. Oh, we'll go beyond part four. I'm telling you that. I want you to say this with me. Sister Fowler, if you have this as a slide, put it up, our confession. Jesus Christ has set me free. Say that again. So say, I am free indeed. There are no limits, no boundaries that can stop me. I am free. Free to be all that he created me to be. Free to be bold, courageous, and strong. I am free. To be what I never thought I could be. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So, Father, we just thank you right now that no matter where we are in our journey, whether we're dwellers of Egypt, living in the wilderness, or finally have approached the promised land, Father, help us find the strength to keep journeying onward, to keep pressing onward, Father. I pray that you would put within us a divine dissatisfaction so that we would desire even to experience even more of what you have called us to and ordained for us. Father, we're hungry for your presence. We're hungry to be what you've called us to be, and we desire the freedom that we've not yet known. So, Father, I pray that you would grant us our desires in Jesus' name and that Monday we'll be freer than we are today and Tuesday we'll be even freer than we were on Monday. And a year from now, my family and my friends will be beyond bewildered by what I've become. 
in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Give somebody a high five and you are free to go in the grace of God. If you need prayer, if we can have our prayer team up here, if you need prayer this morning, they're here to pray with you. God bless you.